please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Today is part one in in a new series entitled The Bible Says. The Bible Says. Over the next five weeks, we will see what the Bible says sin is, deception is, freedom is, holiness is, you are. In part one, our main focus will be on what the Bible says sin is. Culture and the church have redefined and repackaged sin. It no longer looks like sin, and the unbeliever is left wondering what he or she needs to be saved from. Today's redefined and repackaged sin is having a negative and destructive effect on believers, the church, and our gospel witnessing to the lost world that needs to understand why they need a Savior. More than ever, it's important that we get this right in our gospel communication. People, both the unsaved and saved, need to understand what the Bible says sin is. The biblical definition of sin is deadly, is destructive in our lives And in our hearts, having a strong biblical understanding of sin illuminates our need for the Savior and illuminates the beauty of the gospel. It's more than the redefined and repackaged sin that is deceiving unbelievers and even many today who consider themselves believers. It's being redefined and repackaged as a lifestyle choice. It's also being mischaracterized as a mistake. The biblical word and what that word means is being replaced, repackaged, redefined by a lifestyle church by a mistake. And church... Jesus didn't die a brutal and agonizing death on a Roman cross because of a mistake. Because of a lifestyle choice. Thank you. Gracious Father in heaven, I come before you this morning and I thank you for this beautiful time in your presence. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that through your servant today you would speak, God. Speak through your word. Help me to communicate what you've been ministering to my heart as I've been in prayer and study. I pray that we would have hearts to, to receive and ears ready to, to listen and, 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 and feet ready to put it into practice. Be glorified, I pray. May the body of Christ be edified and built up in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, 
we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Genesis chapter 3 explains the human dilemma. All the problems of the universe, physical problems, spiritual problems, moral problems, social problems, economic problems, political problems, all the problems in the universe have their origin in the events of this historic account in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is the foundation of a true and accurate worldview. If you don't understand the origin of sin and its impact based on Genesis chapter 3, then your understanding of the world is wrong. Everything is misunderstood. Everything is misevaluated. Everything is misread. Everything is misdiagnosed and, and hopelessly incurable. If you go to the end of Genesis chapter 1, it says in verse 31, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. When God completed his perfect creation, he said it was very good. Can we say that together? Very good. There was no disorder. There was no chaos. There was no conflict. There was no struggle. There was no pain. There was no discord. There was no disease. There was no sadness. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was no sin. Today we look at the physical world around us and we see it decaying. We, we see the disorder. We, we, it, it, we see the chaos. We, we, we see the death. As soon as life is conceived in the womb, it begins to live and die at the same time. It begins to grow and decay at the same time. Paul, right into the church in Rome, he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together, looking to be delivered from all the chaos, the pain. Why? 
Why? One word. Sin. Sin decays. Sin divides. Sin destroys. Sin produces only one thing. Church, please hear this from the, from the front pew all the way to the back. Sin produces only one thing. Death. Death. God saw that everything that he had made, including man, including woman, including the garden, where he placed him. It was very good. And Psalms 14, 2 says, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. What happened? What happened? Everything God created, including man, was very good. But now the world is in total chaos. And man is corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. What happened is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 3. What changed everything that was very good was one word. Sin. When Adam and Eve, tempted by the serpent in the garden, disobeyed God, everything went from being very good to being very bad. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. This is the New Testament commentary on the historic account of Genesis chapter 3. Through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, the ultimate measure of decay. We have all come from Adam. We've all come from Adam and Eve, and so we inherit what theologians call original sin. As a result of Adam's sin, we all enter the world with a fallen nature. Original sin. Original sin is the sinful tendencies, desires, and dispositions in our hearts with which we are all born. Original sin is something inherent in us. It is a morally ruined character. The original sin that we are all born with manifests itself throughout our lives in actual sins committed. In the actions thoughts and and feelings we have that violate God's moral commands. And so our sinful hearts, original sin, cause us to make sinful choices, think sinful thoughts, and feel sinful feelings, actual sins. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. You might remember the story I shared about my oldest son, and he's probably tired of me telling it. 
He was about 18, 20 months old, almost two years old when he lied to me. His first lie that I'm aware of, I was shocked. I ran upstairs and and told my wife, told Tina. You see, we never taught Manny to lie. We, We didn't sit down at the dinner table one night and say, okay, Manny, tonight we're going to instruct you and teach you to lie. At 20 months old, he doesn't even know what a lie is. I was hit with this biblical reality. Our son was born with a sin nature. And boy, did it change the way I prayed for him. And how I still pray for him and all my children. And our wonderful daughter-in-laws and beautiful granddaughters. We are all born totally imprisoned in original sin. There is no goodness in us. I'm sorry. Original sin is something inherent in us. There's original sin and there's imputed sin. The guilt of Adam's sin is credited not just to Adam himself, but to, to all of us. The Bible is clear. We are regarded as having sinned in Adam, and as a result, we deserve the same punishment. This is imputed sin. We not only receive sinful natures because of Adam's sin, original sin, but we are also regarded as having sinned in Adam such that we are guilty of his act as well, imputed sin. Imputed sin is the ruin of our standing before a holy God. Original sin is the ruin of our character. Both original sin and imputed sin place us under the judgment of God and his coming wrath. When Adam sinned, we all went down because we've all come from Adam. Romans 5.12, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 5.14, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of, of Adam. Romans 5.15, by the one man's offense many died. Romans 5.16, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Romans 5.17, by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Romans 5.18, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Romans 5.20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments were given to Moses by God to illuminate clearly the offense of original and imputed sin. Both are placed under the judgment of God. The law clearly shouts to us, our good is not good enough. It doesn't come close to meeting God's holy and righteous standard. Romans 5.21, sin reigned in death. 
The Old Testament book of Joshua picks up the story of the people of promise, the Israelites, as they prepare to enter the promised land. You can open your Bibles, if you don't mind, turn over to Joshua chapter 7. With a new leader, God called on Joshua to be strong and and courageous as he was given this leadership responsibility to possess the land, the promised land. And chapters 2 through 5 give us details of the preparation to enter the promised land. It had been a long 40 years. Many of us know the story. It's been a long 40 years since Israel should have entered. And now they're ready. They have a new leader. They're ready. And chapter 6 gives us the details of the miraculous conquest of the city of Jericho. And it was miraculous. God's favor, God's protection surely was with them. God's presence was with them. Their victory was supernatural in nature. When chapter 6 closes, everything is going great. Then comes chapter 7. As stunning as the victory is in chapter 6, so is the defeat of chapter 7. Not only does the writer of Joshua reveal the facts of the defeat, but he also reveals the underlying reasons for the defeat. And as we hear these underlying reasons, we get a great lesson on sin today. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I encourage you to read Joshua chapter 7 sometime this week. There are six basic principles about sin. Number one, sin always affects others. Things had been going well, really well for Israel. After an incredible victory over Jericho, an Israelite foot soldier named Achan chose to disobey some clear directives given by Joshua regarding treasures captured in battle. They were to be set apart for the Lord. Joshua told his men that all the spoils taken from Jericho were to be considered devoted things, devoted things, belonging in God's treasury. Achan defied Joshua's orders, taking some of the valuables and hiding them under his family's tent. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 1 says, So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Not just Achan, but the the children of Israel. Due to Achan's sin, Israel experienced its first defeat. 36 Israelite soldiers died. As you go on and read the story sometime this week, you'll read how Achan and his whole family were punished for his sin. Achan and his entire family, their livestock and possessions were all destroyed because of one man's sin. It's hard to wrap your brain around it. But I know God is good. He's just. And everything he does is with a perfect purpose. His thoughts are not mine, and his ways surely are not mine. In this story, we see a picture of both original sin and imputed sin. Achan disobeyed the orders because of inherent sin, original sin. He sinned because he is a sinner. 
He disobeyed because he's a sinner. His disobedience didn't make him a sinner. He disobeyed because he's a sinner. Achan's sin was imputed on the Israelite army. In fact, all the Israelites. And his family. How tragic. They were guilty of his sinful act as well, and it cost them greatly. That's imputed sin. Never, never, please, from the front all the way to the very back, never underestimate the amount of damage one person's sin can do. In Genesis chapter 12, we read that Abraham's disobedient sin in Egypt almost cost him his wife. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, we read that David's disobedience, David's sin in taking an unauthorized census led to the death of 70,000 people. 70,000 people because of one man's sin. In Jonah chapter 1, we read that Jonah's refusal to obey God almost sank a ship that would have most likely killed everybody on board. It was a fierce storm. My precious church family, never underestimate the amount of damage your sin can do. My sin can do. The cost is never, 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 never worth it. Number two, sin always carries consequences. To the surprise of Joshua and the Israelites, God's blessing and protection was withheld. The consequences were defeat and death. Rebelling against God always, always has a consequence. Don't be deceived. And we're going to talk about what the Bible says deception is next Sunday. Adam and Eve had to live with the consequences of their sin. Go back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. God announces the consequences. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Verses 23 and 24 say, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. We clearly see, in in these verses, we, we see clearly the consequences of their sin. Every aspect of life was touched. Every single aspect of life was touched. Their perfection was affected. 
Genesis 1.26 says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The visual reputation of a perfect and holy God reflected in man, represented in man, was now marred, was now flawed. Their relationship with God was affected. There was the loss of righteousness. There was the loss of fellowship with God. Sin separates. A dear friend of mine said to me yesterday, sin is a separator. Their marriage and future family was affected. There was loss of innocence. There was shame and guilt. There was increased labor pains. There was sorrow. There was physical death. After the fall, Adam and Eve, in their fallen state, separated from God, gave birth to two sons, Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, we read that Cain was filled with jealous rage toward his brother Abel and killed him. Their work was affected. The responsibilities given to them by God was affected. Every aspect of life was touched. Church, sin will take you young people all the way in the back. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Number three, sin always is found out. How many of us are, like, are just like Achan? We think we're going to get away with it. Like Achan, we, we hide it. Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin and, and run away and hide. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and, and made themselves coverings. Verse 8 says, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. How many know you can't hide yourself from God? Sin makes you really, really dumb. You can't hide your sin from God. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sins will find you out. Number four, sin always has a precise pattern. As you read Joshua chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, you will clearly see the precise pattern. I saw, I coveted, I took, I concealed. I saw, I coveted, I took, I concealed. Number five. Sin always leaves us longing. It doesn't satisfy. Verse 21 of Joshua 7 says, When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with silver under it. You know, here is the great irony of sin. We can't enjoy the sin. Achan had to hide it under his tent in fear of being caught. We live in this prison of being found out. This prison of fear. Of being found out. Being discovered. You can't really enjoy it. Number six, sin always must be dealt with in death. Wow. Wow. Not exactly the feel-good sermon many in our culture look for today. Some might say, this is too harsh. Some might say, how could a loving God do this? The very first time innocent blood was shed 
was when Adam and Eve sinned. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made turnips of skin and, and clothed them. Church, something innocent died, so Adam and Eve's nakedness, a picture of sin, might be covered. This covering was provided by God. The Lord God made turnips of skin and clothed them. He covered them. They tried to cover up their sin. They tried to cover up their nakedness. They tried to cover up their shame. They tried to cover up their guilt. But church, none of our efforts are good enough. The whole Levitical um, system in the Old Testament to atone um, for sin, to cover sin, required the death of something innocent. One important takeaway we don't want to overlook and fail to mention, God is serious about sin. Are you? Am I? When we truly begin to see and clearly understand the seriousness of sin, we start to see the true beauty of the gospel we have been celebrating around the communion table today. I think this is a good place to provide you a biblical definition of sin. Sin, as defined in the original translation of the Bible, means to miss the mark. Last year, we saw this illustrated in a message Pastor Bob shared. The mark in this case is the standard of a moral perfection established by God and evidenced by Jesus when he walked on the earth. The Apostle Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it's important to understand, sin consists of not only missing the mark. Our explanation cannot start there and finish there. Sin consists of not only missing the mark, but hitting the wrong thing. But hitting the wrong thing. It's having another lover. It's having another lover. Throughout Scripture, God uses the imagery of sexual immorality to to convey the depths of sin, of unfaithfulness. Who is that other lover? If it's not God, if you missed that mark, you you hit something else. Who's the other lover? Find a mirror. Look in it. You're the other lover. And because you're the other lover, it leads you down paths that are not good. That are not pleasing to the Lord. The world doesn't understand the biblical definition of sin. And I'm afraid the church doesn't really understand it as well. And God forgive us for not doing a better job in helping the church understand. I think that the clearest biblical definition of sin in the New Testament is found in 1 John 3, 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. I'm reading from the New King James Version. 
The King James reads like this. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. The Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. The Hebrew word translated transgression means to cross over. It means rebellion or revolt. The New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word translated transgression means lawlessness, law-breaking. This is the word the New King James uses in its translation in 1 John 3, 4. We know the Greek word translated sin means to miss the mark. The Apostle John uses all three. The Apostle John defines sin, missing the mark, as transgression, lawlessness, law-breaking. So the Old Testament and the New Testament words define sin as being an offense and rebellion of missing the mark. All violate the law, moral standard of God. But sin is much more than breaking the law of God. It is also breaking the heart of God. And why? Because we have another lover, and it's not God. And it breaks his heart. Oh, if my wife would find out that I had another lover, wouldn't it break her heart? It would shatter her heart. It would crush her heart. Oh, to even put that thought out there. Oh, it sent shivers through my being. Sin is reducing God. It's ungodding God. And putting ourselves on his throne. It's rejecting God. It's replacing God. It's revolting against God. Sin is living as if there were no law of God. Calling your own shots. Church, every sinful action is a power. Every sinful action is a power. All sin has an addictive power. All sin, it doesn't matter what sin it is. It could be the sin of gluttony. All sin has an addictive power. All addictions begin with an emotional craving which overwhelms our thinking and dries up our strength. We choose to find something other than God to deal with our distress, which gives a false promise of freedom and escape. And next week I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about deception. There are three things that happen in addiction. The first one is this, tolerance. We become trapped in tolerance. We always need more of our addictive something other than God. We tolerate the sin. How many right now, you're tolerating the sin? You're tolerating the sin. Number two, denial. When we reach denial, we refuse to think clearly. We stop thinking biblically. Does the Bible really say that? We begin to write the holy, rewrite the Holy Scripture to fit our lifestyle choices. And thirdly, destruction. Sin destroys our willpower. We then try to escape our distress with the very thing that brought us distress. 
Church, sin is loving something and living for something more than loving and living for God. Jonathan Edwards describes sin as turning the heart into a fire. The more fuel you put on the fire, the more it needs to keep it going. Sin is much more than breaking the law of God. It's also breaking the heart of God. Why? Because we've missed the mark, but we hit something else. We have another lover, and it's not God, and it crushes his heart. Oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Does sin break your heart, knowing that it breaks God's? Or do we just casually go on sinning, tolerating that sin? Sin is going beyond the bounds that God has established in his law, written word. When you know something pleases God, something that God has commanded, and you don't do it, that is sin. Our view of morality, church, our view of morality, our view of crime, our view of justice, our view of evil, our view of sexual purity, our view of marriage, our view of sin, all came out of the Holy Scripture, the Bible. Can I hear a big amen? The Bible, God's word was the standard our nation was built on. I say was because this is changing. The world is sinking deeper and deeper into sin as it consistently continues to distance itself completely away from the word of God, God's righteous and holy standard. When you don't have a standard, it's going to be harder and harder to define morality. How do you go to a, to a generation that's being raised in a society that has no standard and tell them they're sinners? Based on what? Based on what standard am I a sinner? You see, the redefining of morality without a standard leaves our society in a death dive. Troubles this preacher. Because sin is breaking God's law. Sin is violating God's moral character. And there's nowhere to know that except on the pages of Scripture, the Holy Bible. There's no other place. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he writes in his first letter in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or homosexuals, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor troublemakers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul continues in, in um, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, verse 11. As such were some of you. Some of you in your past before Christ were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, drunkards, and the list goes on. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Someone shout amen. Amen. You were moral lawbreakers. You were. Are you living like that in the present? Because if you are, you have another lover. And you're breaking the heart of God. You're in rebellion. You're replacing God. 
Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery and fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, um, wild parties, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the bad news but let me tell you about the good news before we leave the word gospel means good news it's good news because it is God's answer to sin there's no other answer how do we tell our society about a savior who will save them from sin when their definition of sin is Basically non-existent. You and I, the lost, unsaved, will never fully appreciate the beauty of the gospel until we grasp and understand the ugliness of sin. Something God dropped in my heart early this morning while in prayer. You and I, The believer, the lost, the unsaved will never fully appreciate the beauty of the gospel until we grasp and understand the ugliness of sin. When we do, it illuminates the beauty of the gospel. And we can't help but call on the name of the Lord. We can't help but confess our sin and he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't help but break forth in loud praise, lifting holy hands. I want to reread several verses in Romans 5 that I read early, except this time I will read the whole verse. I don't have them up there. But Romans 5, 14. Write the verses down. I encourage you, look them up later. Earlier I read the bad news part. Now we're going to read the bad news and the good news part of each verse. Romans 5.14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Oh, Jesus. Amen. Romans 5.15, but the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to, to many. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. Romans 5.16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification, just as if we've never sinned. Can someone say, thank you, Jesus? 
Romans 5, 17, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody shout, thank you, Jesus. Romans 5.18, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, Jesus Christ, one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Romans 5, verses 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the good news. The gospel is good news because it's God's answer to sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, Paul provides a concise and clear definition of the good news. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Who did he receive it from? Jesus himself. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Remember on the road to Damascus, he received this good news. Remember what I shared earlier, sin always must be dealt with in sin, in death, excuse me, in death. Sin always must be dealt with in death. Our inherent sin, we receive from Adam, enslaves us. Our inherent sin, we receive from Adam, that enslaves us. And the imputed sin, the guilt and condemnation we share in Adam was resolved in Jesus Christ by his death on the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, there was no longer a need for something innocent to die. His death, once and for all, satisfied the payment required by a just and holy God. Can we say amen? Thank you, Jesus. The first Adam inputted, inputted guilt, imputed guilt and condemnation. The second Adam imputed his perfect righteousness, justifying us just as if we've never sinned. If the worship team would please come out, and can we all stand? Open your Bibles to Revelation 22 as I close. I want to read verses 12 through 21. And behold, listen to these beautiful words of Jesus. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Adam and Eve, because of their sin, was cast away from the garden. They could not come near the tree of life. That tree was guarded day and night. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and their neighbor as themselves. Who love the moral law of God. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters. And whoever loves and practices a lie, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, Come, 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 and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to these words oh be careful don't redefine and repackage sin don't redefine sin God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy God shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book I am coming quickly. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Can we praise him, church? He's worthy to be praised. Before we we dismiss, as the worship team leads us in this chorus, come to the altar. Let's respond to the word of the Lord. Let's respond to the word of the Lord. You're welcome to come to these altars. If you desire prayer, we will pray with you. But before we leave, let's respond to the word of the Lord.